Hello, all you kings, queens, and those in between, and welcome to episode two of the Busted Limes podcast. I'm your host, Paresh Maharaj, and I actually have a couple of announcements to make. First, I know that in my first intro, I made it a point to mention that my co-host cousin couldn't make it for the intro, but we've decided that going forward, I should just do all of the intros solo for every episode, since then I'll be able to more accurately summarize what we talk about. Secondly, this episode is actually a re-record. Yeah, yeah, I know. See, what had happened was on our first run-through, we'd recorded around 84 minutes before realizing that my mic wasn't picking me up. My other podcasting friends say that this is a common mistake, and I'm just going to go ahead and believe them, otherwise my ego will never mend. Anyway, enough moping. This episode, we're talking about AEW, All Elite Wrestling, the promotion formed by a disgruntled former WWE superstar who set out with the explicit goal of being a competitor to WWE. As of this recording, AEW has been airing on Wednesdays on TNT to strong viewership for a little over a year now, so we decided that this was an appropriate time to give our thoughts on it. For this episode, we start off broad by just generally listing things that we like, things that we don't like, even people that we like and people that we don't like, and then we shift our focus to talk about specific moments that we liked and disliked, and then finally we end on speculating for what we want to see in the future and how the future looks for the entire product as a whole. Also as a heads up, we will be casually dropping wrestling lingo throughout the episode that will go undefined because we actually tried defining them on our first recording and it just destroyed the flow of the episode to constantly stop and say, for those who don't know, over and over and over again. So, lace up your boots, wet your hair, and take your position at Gorilla, and enjoy the show. Alright, take two, dear God. Fuck! Okay, <laughs> cool. Right, trying this again. Uh-huh. All right, so it's, it's just a little bit of growing pains. We're a new podcast. Yeah, speaking of growing pains, AEW. AEW. Yes. We are about a year in from AEW now, and what do you think? What are you thinking so far? I mean, it's fucking amazing. Yeah, like, I mean, there's a reason we're still watching it a year in. Exactly, like, yep. Yeah. Do you know, one thing I give AEW credit for at this point is that they have not made it easy for themselves at all. Like, any other wrestling promotion, be it WWE, New Japan, or even, like, Ring of Honor or Impact, like, they're, like, bare minimum. They just have to be entertaining in order to get by. But AEW has the added burden of they don't just have to be entertaining. They have to actually, everybody expects them to be better than WWE. That's the bar they set for themselves. Like, yeah. It's not just the fans that wanted an alternative to WWE. Like, AEW very explicitly is presenting themselves as a, the alternative to WWE. And that is a very... that Those are high standards they've set for themselves. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. honestly, I think they've met those standards because, um, well, let's, start, let's just start out by talking about how we became the way we are disgruntled former wwe fans because we i think we both fell off for the same reason right i think we fell off at the exact same moment <laughs> oh yeah definitely yeah no. so. so yeah anybody who's familiar with the current wwe product or at least what the wwe product has been for the last five years or so knows that 99 of what's going on right now just involves brock lesnar holding on to the title and eventually building up someone to hopefully take it away from him so 
the two of us, our last straw was last year's Money in the Bank pay-per-view when it looked like mm-hmm. Mustafa Ali was this close to winning the briefcase. But then Brock Lesnar, who wasn't even in the match, ran out, knocked him mm-hmm. off the ladder, and then took the briefcase and won. Yep. What wasn't even in the match, and that was really what burned my ass. If, like, I feel like if he was, if he was at least in the match, it wouldn't have been as bad. I mean, it would have been bad, but like, you know, it wouldn't have felt like as much of a slap in the face. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Especially since it was Mustafa Ali himself who took the who took the fall. Exactly. Like, yeah, because you would have been mad if it was anybody else in the match. But I mean, like. The highest of highs of seeing him get that close, and then just the lowest of lows seeing him just be the fucking butt monkey for Brock Lesnar. Like, him of all people. In such a short amount of time, too. Yeah. Good lord. Yeah. It's just, and, and like, since we, then. Yeah, we both had issues with WWE running up until that point, but it's, you know, none of those issues, like, we were still very much wading through all of the bad because the good made it worth it. But I think in that moment, it just kind of made it realize, like, you know, this is never going to get better than what it is right now. Yep, and they just don't care. Yeah, <laughs> no, and that's the thing with AEW is, even when they're unpredictable, it never feels like they're insulting your intelligence. Like, the difference between WWE and AEW's brand of unpredictability is WWE unpredictability is building up a of conclusion to something that makes sense and foreshadowing it heavily and then at the last minute going away with something completely different that makes no fucking sense all just to be like haha you fans thought you knew it was going to happen but then we did something different to fool you because you don't know what's happening with aew it's more unpredictability in a sense of we never know what's going to happen but that's a good thing because it's exciting and interesting and it keeps us on our toes like exactly like, last night is a perfect example of doing unpredictability well in AEW. Oh, yeah, like, precisely. The where I, yeah, I mean, the, they, we had it, the Exalted One reveal. Everyone thought it was going to be Matt Hardy. Yeah, like, and AEW had been teasing for a long time that Matt Hardy was going to come to AEW. But then the mm-hmm. Exalted One turned out to be Brody Lee, formerly known as Luke Harper. And then everybody thought, okay, well, that's the Exalted One reveal. And then Matt Hardy ended up showing up at the end of the night to team with the Elite anyway. And can we just talk about how amazing that reveal was? Oh, yeah, that was amazing. Like, even without an audience. Right, right. Like, you could just hear the pop in your head, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) The reason that works is unpredictability. What's the name he gave his drone again? Vanguard 1. Vanguard 1. Yeah, Yeah. because it started off with Vanguard 1, and then it took a moment to sink in what they were doing. And then you see Matt Hardy there at the top of the arena. Yeah. God, awesome stuff. Anyway, what were you saying before I, I so rudely cut you off? Yeah, gosh, dude. Yeah, so <laughs> I think the reason why that's good unpredictability is like, you know, it didn't insult our intelligence. Like Brody leaping the exalted one, that's not what we were expecting, but it's still cool. Like, it's still interesting to see where they go with that. And then, of course, mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, ha, ha, you fools, we're never going to show Matt Hardy anyway. It was just misdirection for when Matt Hardy actually showed up later in the night. Like, <laughs> yes, compare they... that to WWE, where, like, you know, unpredictability there is, like, when you build The Undertaker up... coming into a battle royal and just beating AJ Styles with his weakest finishing move, the chokeslam. Oh, yeah, like in that fucking gauntlet <laughs> match in Saudi Arabia. Or, like, Brock Lesnar entering the Royal Rumble at number one and then eliminating, like, 15 people in a row. I'm, I'm still kind of mixed on that, actually, because... 
uh, because then you just knew that whoever eliminated him would be the one getting the push, and it turned out to be Drew McIntyre, who I've been... Here's the thing. That was yeah. actually something that could have been done well, but the problem with that was Brock Lesnar was WWE champion at the time, and a lot of the people that he eliminated were, like, very big fan favorites and people would want to win. Like, he eliminated freaking John Morrison and Kofi Kingston and Rey Mysterio and Big E. Like, you... Yeah. 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 I mean, like, you could have had him eliminate, like, jobbers or, like, mid-carters or, like, other heels. Like, the, it got to a point where people people were into it at first, and then it just got tiring. Yeah. And then it's like you said, you knew whoever eliminated him was going to win. Yeah. Yeah, compare it to, like, AEW with, like, the recent title matches. Like, I would say all of the mm-hmm. recent title changes have been pretty shocking. Like, even with Moxley versus Jericho, going into that match, I had no idea who was going to win. Because you could have argued it either way who would have made sense to win. Exactly, exactly. And even before that, you could have argued that uh, Moxie was going to join the inner circle or that he wasn't going to join the inner circle because either way, I could see them pulling a quality story out of it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. It all just came down to whether you thought they were ready to pull the trigger on Moxley as the top star. Exactly, which I feel like they made the right... Well, honestly, that's the thing. Either decision would have been the right decision. Yeah. Because one, he's the... If you let him win, he's the most over that... He will probably ever be right now, so it's right. better, best to strike while the iron's hot. Yeah, but if he loses, you literally like stack every card in the book against him. That saying doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? They stack the odds against him completely, so you could justify him losing as saying, "Well, you know, it was unfair." And then when he wins, it's you know him getting payback. Right, exactly. But even if yeah. he lost, it would still it would have still been like, oh well, yeah, he had all the odds stacked against him. Exactly. It's been too early. It's too soon for Jericho to lose it. All that. I you mean, know. I saw people after that match saying they felt like it was too early for Jericho to lose it. And honestly, I could kind of see where they're coming from, but at the same time, strike the Moxley Iron White's hot, you know. Yeah, exactly. When the man, when you have a guy who is arguably right now the most over man in professional wrestling, you don't not put the belt on him. Right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, uh, and one more thing that AEW is eating WWE's lunch in is well, besides the ratings, <laughs> yeah. um, is a uh, long-term storytelling. Getting oh, this yeah. really didn't sink in for me until yesterday, where um, we they flash back to all the times that uh the Lucha Bros and the best friends were going were at each other's oh, yeah. throats. And it's like, wait, that's true. They have been. Yeah, this has literally been building like as long as AEW has been around. Yeah. Right. Really. And it's it's funny you bring up the ratings because like kind of the ridiculous thing about this air quotes Wednesday, Wednesday Night Wars thing is that yeah. like the competition is just between NXT and um, Dynamite. Like that Ma- is Raw true. and SmackDown yeah. are both like still in the billions of viewers. And like, even <laughs> though most people agree that the quality of both of those shows is way less than NXT or AEW, it's still like kind mm-hmm. of the fact is AEW is competing with the WWE's third brand. And that's not a knock against AEW, but I think that just goes to show that, you know, being the direct competition for WWE doesn't mean putting mm-hmm. WWE out of business or just eclipsing them completely. It's just having a consistently good, appealing product that people can go to if they get tired of WWE. It's like Burger King versus McDonald's. Burger King is never going to put McDonald's out of business. It's a fucking juggernaut in the food industry. But at the end of the day, if you don't like McDonald's, Burger King is there. And if you go to Burger King, you know what you're going to get. And if you were considering getting McDonald's, Burger King probably wouldn't disappoint you. 
<laughs> I think there are some people who would say that it's an insult to McDonald's to compare them to WWE, but <laughs> you know, that's a different, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I mean, we can dive into the implications of comparing pro wrestling to fast food in another time. My point is that AEW, like at the end of the day, they just need to be better than NXT by a margin that makes them look like a viable alternative. And so far, I think they have been. Oh, yeah, definitely. And yeah, I know we started off this podcast as kind of like a negative light with growing pains, so, but yeah, which, we do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, no. And I mean, I think now that we've kind of solidified that, yes, we are fully on board with AEW. Maybe now we can talk about the growing pains a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, these are things that we've been talking about for the entirety of the past year. And like we said, growing pains, I think a lot of these things that we're going to talk about have been addressed to some extent by now, but it's still worth. Yeah, exactly. Because I think it's yeah, important exactly. to point out that AEW didn't necessarily hit the ground running with all of its cylinders firing. You know, it's a new promotion yeah. and, you know, it's being run by part of the thing is it's not being run by necessarily veterans of running wrestling promotions. All the people running it are, you know, wrestlers. So they're going at a very different angle than other promoters. So Mm -hmm. like one big thing I feel like is, and this is one of the ones that I think besides the the sound, no more sound issues. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, but yeah, one thing, one of the growing pains I think is the most excusable because it's the one I think they've shown the most growth in is the pacing of their cards. Like, I think one issue they had for the longest time, and they still deal with this every now and then, is front-loading a lot of their weekly shows. Like, especially you saw this earlier on, they would open with a tag match that absolutely burns the fucking house down, which is hard not to do with the tag division they have. And then it's like the rest of the show is just, like, promos and other matches that just kind of don't live up to the opening match, which is just not a great way to build a show. Exactly, yeah. I remember there was one week where they, uh... The opening match was like Kenny and Hangman versus the Lucha Bros. And that right. was the opening match. Like which yeah, and it's like and then your main event is like a freaking like promo or something, which like isn't wasn't I'm sure it wasn't a bad segment or whatever, but it's like that's not gonna live if it's if the end of the show still doesn't live up to the opening, that's an issue you need to address. Yeah, and I think the most recent egregious example of this was at Revolution with the tag team title match, Hangman and Kenny versus the Young Bucks. Oh my god. You mean the greatest match in recent memory? Yeah, (laughs) arguably a match of the year contender, but it was in the Mm -hmm. middle of the fucking card, and it completely burnt the crowd out. So, like, literally the next three matches after that were dealing with a dead crowd. It took fucking Orange Cassidy to bring them back. Oh, Because what happened there... Yeah, well, because also the thing is they opened the show with Dustin versus Jake Hager. And the thing with that is, even though the crowd was off for that match because they were just excited that the pay-per-view was starting and Dustin's very popular, Jake Hager fucking sucks. He is so goddamn boring. He is boring so boring. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, like, that whole match was so weird with, like, the added angle of his wife being involved for some reason. Yeah, which and that came out of nowhere. There was absolutely yeah. no build-up to that, which is odd for AEW. And it's like, yes, a booless man for aggressively making out with his wife in the front row. I mean, like, he'd already gotten enough heat <laughs> just from allying with Jericho and breaking Dustin's arm and just, you know, kind of existing. Mm-hmm. Like, but also, yeah, so that was just weird. And then, like, you immediately follow that up with Darby versus Sammy Guevara, which was an amazing match and probably should have been the opener because that was a great mm-hmm. fucking match. It got everybody excited. Right, yeah. right. Like, yeah, Hager versus Dustin should have been in the dead match spot instead of the fucking women's title match. <laughs> and then freaking Cody versus MJF. Well, yeah, what did you think of that match? I mean, I thought it was a good match for what it was. It's, I mean, but again, it's hard to judge it because, A, everybody was burned out from the tag title match. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. 
I mean, there were certain other distracting aspects of that match, which we'll get into later. But, but yeah, uh, and then other growing pains, I think, you know, you have to talk about the women's division in AEW. Yeah, you got to talk about the women's yeah. division. And yep. I'll disclaimer, because I know people get mad when you talk about things like this. So just a disclaimer. We mm-hmm. both fucking love women's wrestling. Hell yeah. You know, in general, because like wrestling fans, you want to see all aspects of wrestling at their best. And that includes women's wrestling. You want to see mm-hmm. the women on the same level as the world championship and the tag division. And wrestling at its best is when all of those things are equal. And I think that, you know, some of AEW's best matches have been women's matches. Like, both the both of the Rio versus Nyla matches for the women's title were phenomenal. Such good matches like my god you would right. you would you will believe that a 98 pound woman could beat well nyla <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and like there's the thing is with AEW, the one thing that's working against them in their women's division as opposed to wwe the one area wwe has an advantage is that you know AEW being a new promotion so the vast majority of their women's roster is newer talent like a lot mm-hmm. of big stars like nyla rose and Britt baker have been wrestling for less than six years so and you oh know a lot of times like with wrestlers like Britt and Chris Statlander, you know it shows when they're wrestling in the ring they're still new and they're not bad by any stretch of the imagination. These are all phenomenal athletes, but you know they all have a lot of room for improvement. And the one thing WWE has an advantage with is they have their performance center. They literally have their own wrestling school to train up their roster and get them TV ready. AEW doesn't have it like. Kenny even said in an interview, like, he feels their biggest weakness with the women's division is the only way you can, like, get them more experience is to have them wrestle. Right. And he's right. He's absolutely right. Yeah. But the problem is, like, you know, it's hard to make sure that everybody's getting the same amount of experience to train. And, like, I don't know all what's going on backstage with AEW, so I don't know what necessarily they're doing to address this other than just having women wrestle more. Mm -hmm. But, like, you know, that's they're playing catch up at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah. But I think they are catching up now, especially that yeah. uh, Fatal 4-Way that we had last oh, night. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Oh, my God. That, like, uh, that, yeah. Honestly, I think that was my favorite match of the night. Well, I mean, that was probably the best match of the night. Like, I, I do think it was better than the tag match that opened the show. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is not a knock against any of the women on the roster. Nyla Rose is a fucking monster a who absolutely should be at the top of the division right now. Like Hikaru Shida, Rio are like two of my probably favorite women's wrestlers right now. Britt Baker is absolutely killing it with whatever the hell she's doing right now. Right. Like, just yeah, being I mean, a dick to Shivani. <laughs> exactly. Like it's just, you know, they have a good thing going. They just, they, it, these aren't just criticisms like, Oh wow, this sucks. These are growing pains. Like they have room to grow. You just have to hope that they do and have confidence that they will. Which, yeah, uh, again, we've established that we do have confidence that they will. Right. And that's the thing with AEW. Yeah. Going back to what I said earlier about, like, you know, them having much higher standards to meet. I think the thing is, you know, so many fans are so quick to criticize them whenever they do something that, you know, they perceive as not being better than WWE. And the thing is, if you want AEW to be that viable alternative to WWE, you have to be willing to give them a chance to grow into that. You can't expect them to be that from day one. You know, they've been around exactly. for just over a year now. You have to give them time, and they do have time to grow into a healthy, thriving promotion. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. You have to be willing. Like, if they have issues, you have, to be, you have to be willing to let the thing that you want happen. You have to be willing to give it time to grow into it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And 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 I do think that AEW is growing into it and and I think a yeah. big part of that is that they're allowing their talent to just organically get over. Oh, absolutely. Like I think a huge example of that is like Jericho's theme song. Like with the crowd sing-alongs and the way they've leaned into that, like literally they will let his music play up until the chorus and then cut his music so that it's just the crowd singing along. If this is something that had happened in WWE, WWE would have gone out of their way to stop the crowd from singing along. They would have changed his music or edited it differently or had Jericho cut a promo telling the crowd not to sing along with his theme song or done anything like that to get them to stop because they wouldn't have wanted it to happen because they didn't come up with it. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and hell, try, try telling any new AEW fan these days that Darby Allin didn't always have a skateboard. Oh yeah, no. Skateboarding is just Darby Allen's thing in real life, and they just made that a part of his character. They allowed him to let his character evolve in a way that was cool and made sense, and was just cool to watch. Yeah, yeah, especially with, with the way they've he's been using the, the the skateboard has become such an integral part of his character too. Too, it's it's basically iconic at this point, is because exactly. on one side it's the one that he got his throat crushed with, and yeah. on the other now he has the thing where he menacingly writes his opponent's names on the skateboard and then and then he ollies off of them. <laughs> okay, the body bag stuff is just so fucking cool to watch as well. Oh my god, yes. Yeah. It's like he could be the new Undertaker. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean just yeah, and, I, just, and I don't say I that mean, you like, the- ironically. Yeah, I mean, you were there live when, like, he made his return from, like, the scripted injury. You heard how fucking loud that pop was. Oh, my God. Did did it come through on TV, like, how loud it was, or? I mean, it was the biggest pop of the night, clearly. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it, I, I think the fit. reaction to that was bigger than the reaction to Cody's moonsault. Which is saying something. Yeah. <laughs> well, since we're talking about uh, specific moments now, were there any moments that you really enjoyed so far with your... Uh, how long we've been watching at EW? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, if we're going to talk about something that I didn't even enjoy, but I'm just fucking jealous of, is the fucking Cody's moonsault off the steel cage. I'm just jealous <laughs> oh. you got to see that in person, like from the fucking floor. <laughs> he I mean, didn't even that, look back before he, yeah, he did the moonsault. Out to me. He didn't look behind him before he did that moonsault. He just intrinsically trusted Wardlow to catch him. The other thing with that match is that Wardlow like actually showed himself to be a good wrestler. Right, yeah. I, I thought up until that point he was just like big dumb muscle like Jake Hager, but you, the man was fucking pulling swatons off the top hmm. rope and like he wasn't just use, hitting Cody against the cage. He was hitting Cody with the cage. With he was grabbing cage. the cage and pulling it towards Cody. It was so good. Like obviously I have to boo him because he's associated with MJF, but like I'm a Wardlow <laughs> fan now, honestly, because of that one match. Oh yeah, definitely. And um, I think he's actually facing Luchasaurus next week in a Lumberjack yeah, match. Is. Oh my god! Yeah, that match is going to be fucking fire. Oh my god! Yeah, I wonder if a lumberjack match technically breaks the rules of social distancing, though. That might be something to look into. Shit, you're right. Lumberjack matches and social distancing. Hmm. (laughs) They did have faces and heels in the crowd. Honestly, they used to do a little bit where like they're having people coming up for a lumberjack match, but then they just stop like lashing people. Like, no, 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 we just hit like the maximum for social gatherings. You guys need to go back. Oh my no, god, remember like last that. night when the when the best oh, yeah, the friends best went friends. for their hug? And, yeah, I was <laughs> hoping they, they were going to do something like that, and that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I think the first moment that actually, my first like jaw-dropping moment was, yeah. it was actually just a regular singles match, but it was uh, 
when Pac made Kenny pass out on his debut match. Oh my match. god, that was insane. Like, like, oh my, like th- mm-hmm. talk ahead. about like putting somebody over. Like WWE has their shit going where John Cena has never tapped out. He has, but like, has. you have freaking Kenny Omega, like arguably your biggest star, just fucking pass out like it gets fucking slept in the middle of the ring by Pac like that puts him over huge it, like immediately because yeah oh my god Kenny Omega is like one of the would you say he's one of the founding basically the founding members of AEW I mean he's literally is like it's the elite so it's Cody right Kenny the Bucks and Hangman basically and then Tony Khan like I mean he's also literally like one of the executive members like executive leadership right 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 yeah and uh you know now I'm just thinking of all the former WWE superstars who have now migrated over to AEW and, and how they're already being treated better by AEW like yeah like freaking Sean Spears yeah like um but yeah. I started with Pac because he this was after WWE literally removed his Wrestlemania match from the DVD and now look where he is now but yeah, Sean Spears, he went from doing literally nothing in WWE to being one of the most goddamn years. How many years? 15. He was in WWE development for 15 years before he des- debuted on NXT. Oh my god. Actually, no, including the time he spent in NXT, like when he debuted on the main roster, he had been with WWE for 15 years. Good lord. You wouldn't yeah. think you wouldn't think that from the way he was treated in WWE. Right? Oh, oh my lord. And now he's yeah. the chairman. Yeah. Yeah, eating chicken on the sidelines with MJF and betting on matches. Yeah. <laughs> that was... That's the thing. AEW's handled this whole, you know, no audience thing so much better than WWE has. Yeah, I only saw a couple clips of uh, the WWE no audience thing like monday night raw like they didn't even like acknowledge coronavirus like they just literally refer to it as the most unique edition of monday night raw in history that was their way of framing the fact that they were doing it in the performance center with no audience hmm weak yeah (laughs) compare that to cody's opening promo last night exactly Jeez. And just Kenny's being so heartfelt, saying like, "Look, we don't even know if we'll have a dynamite next week, so all we can do is just give you the best match and best show that we can." God, yeah, yeah, so like, good. That's the thing. Nothing in none of the promos in AEW feel overly scripted or rehearsed. Like, I've never heard an a-, a promo in AEW that sounds like it was written by a committee, and that's the big difference. Uh huh. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Were there any other moments? I mean, the end of Moxley versus Jericho, for one. Oh, 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 oh my God, yes. And hell, even the build-up to that, where he Jericho literally sticks him in the eye with a freaking... Yeah, but then Jericho could see all along. Like, so that, and just, then just... Yep. Nyla winning the women's title was fucking amazing. Yes, the first... Yeah, f- <laughs> in case you've been living under a rock, Nyla is the first openly trans wrestler, like, Ever, so he signed right? to a major promotion. Yeah, at first. Oh, openly signed with trans a major promotion. Okay. Major promotion okay. And first openly trans wrestler, I think, to just win a title anywhere. God, that's amazing. Yeah. 
and it's like legitimately good representation like right they don't try to be like preachy about it they don't try to use her the fact that she's trans as a gimmick or make it her entire character she just is a trans woman who also happens to be really fucking good at breaking people yes exactly yeah and that's actually a good segue into let's just talk about another thing that AEW does better than WWE is that the sheer diversity of their roster like not just racially but um they do have room to grow like the majority yeah. of the roster is still white and they have like but the minorities that they have on the roster they've highlighted very well i mean you look at their range of champions none of their women champions so far have been white the vast majority of their women's roster is actually japanese probably mhm like mostly joshi wrestlers like you look at their tag division like scorpio sky was black man one half of their first tag team champions the inaugural tag yeah exactly yeah. yeah and then of course even going back to nyla even with being trans she's also a native american isn't she exactly yeah she is yeah yeah oh well god <laughs> yeah i mean how much native american representation do you see these days like like I, in a positive non-stereotypical way uh well let well keep in mind I live in Atlanta so home of the Braves so like nowhere I, I said non stereotypical so <laughs> exactly this I, I like, also feel nowhere. like that really doesn't count because I mean at that point you have to count the Redskins which I mean nobody fucking Ugh. counts the Redskins <laughs> yeah no mm-hmm. yeah so that's cool and then I mean like if you want to just get into like talking about like the LGBT community and everything like he doesn't talk about it very often but I mean Kenny Omega's bi and he's probably like top five best wrestlers in the world right now yeah of oh I would say yeah in the world right now yeah definitely yeah and Sonny Kiss was in the audience last night yeah so Sonny Kiss a gay man doesn't dress like a stereotypical macho masculine wrestler but he just you know, he's being himself and wrestling and getting over, and he's just so damn good in the ring. Yeah, and the other thing is, in none of, like, the matches or feuds that he's had so far, like, they don't, you, nobody uses the fact that he's gay for heat. Nobody makes homophobic comments on him or anything, which, like, you know, I feel like WWE might have done that, especially, like, in the 90s, but, like, and even you look at guys like MJF, probably the best heel in the business right now, he never, like, crosses the line with any of his promos. Yeah, exactly. Like, you hear talk about all the time about how he's he goes too far, like that one time where he flipped off that kid. But it's like, he's still able to be booed without being bigoted. <laughs> yeah, and the reason why I disagree that flipping off that kid was going too far is because here's the thing if you're at a fan event and you wait in line for god knows how long to meet a wrestler i want to meet the wrestler i don't want to meet the guy who plays that wrestler like if i wait in line for however long to meet mjf and i just meet a really nice guy max friedman from wherever he's from that's disappointing (laughs) i want to meet mjf which means i want to meet somebody who's going to talk shit to my face and make me feel horrible about myself like if that kid's old enough (laughs) to watch wrestling and like cognizant enough to want to meet mjf he should know what he's signing up for precisely like yeah. Im- like imagine if you went to meet the undertaker but instead you just met mark calloway uh, uh, yeah that's a great way of putting it yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's there are many reasons i wouldn't want to meet mark calloway but that's uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough <laughs> oh man and honestly that's that just kind of that just begs the question now like they have all these 
diverse people on their roster, but then at the same time, they bring someone like Hager on, which is yeah, like a weird, very weird disconnect. Yeah, for cause... people who might not be aware, Hager has a history of, in the past, he has tweeted and liked several tweets that uh, come across as very transphobic, which creates a very interesting uh, conflict of interest when AEW is going out of their way to present themselves as being very diverse and welcoming and they have nyla rose on their roster you know and i'm not saying that like you should never hire anybody who you know holds those kinds of beliefs because i mean it's just you know i hate to say it but we live in a world where there are a lot of bigots and it's hard to filter them out if you're trying to run any kind of business that's a discussion for another time exactly yeah but at the end of the day it's like you know if that is you're making that part of your brand that it it's a it seems like a conflict of interest is what it is yeah yeah. Yeah. Oh, so let's get yeah. let's get into the specific superstars that we like now. Let's just take it one by one. So first off, starting with you know what? Let's start with um Kenny Omega. <laughs> you know, the you know, the the least predictable choice. <laughs> of course, yeah. No, I mean I think he's his name has become synonymous with non WWE wrestling in a way that AJ Styles was before he went to WWE. I mean, if you're gonna talk about the, the best wrestler outside of WWE right now and Kenny Omega doesn't come up in the conversation, that completely invalidates your argument. Like, I'm sorry, but like right. it's Omega, Okada, Tanahashi, honestly probably Jay White. I mean, who am I missing at that point? If you want to talk about the best wrestler outside of WWE right now. Um, hmm, yeah, no, nah, I think he pretty much nailed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, no, he's just at that level. Like, sure, people argue with whether he's the best, because everybody has someone who they think is the best. A lot of people would still argue it's probably AJ Styles or Daniel Bryan, but, like, you right. can't argue that he's top five best wrestlers in the world right now. Yeah, you can't argue that he's not top five, yeah. Yeah, and one thing with... And just to bring up the Young Bucks as well, again, probably one of the best tag teams in the world, but I think one thing they've done a good job of is people were so, so many people were so sure that AEW was going to go the route of WCW with just the wrestlers and management putting the belt on themselves and pushing themselves over everybody else. And they've completely avoided doing that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was really scared of just Cody just going on a full ego trip and just putting the belt on himself as the inaugural champion. And I mean, because you've seen his entrance. Right. But I mean, by <laughs> his admission, his entrance is all ego. Like, mm-hmm. and like, here's the thing I had confidence, like, and I mean, look, we've all seen the side of Cody's neck. We know he's not always the best at making decisions, but oh I had God. faith that Cody, at the very least, wasn't stupid enough to put the belt on himself this soon. And like, aside from that, you know, with Kenny and the Young Bucks, I think people do eventually want to see them hold the belts at some point, but they've been smart about holding back on that and letting other people get the spotlight. Like, when Kenny eventually wins the belt, I don't think anybody is going to have an issue with it. But I just, especially more so since because it'll be a while before it happens. Right, exactly. They they yeah. do, they are very good about just organically uh, building up to what the fans actually want. Exactly. And if the fans want something that they hadn't been thinking about beforehand, they don't just completely dismiss it out of hand. Like fucking Orange Cassidy. Oh my, Orange Cassidy. You mean the freaking walking millennial... Uh, God, what do you even call it? He's the stand. He's a JoJo stand if of a, of a millennial. You can't really describe him accurately in any way that does him justice. You <laughs> just have to watch one of his matches to understand. Mm-hmm. Precisely, because... 
the walking personification of millennial ennui. That's what I'm going with. Yeah. <laughs> and, and let's also, yeah. and in the same vein, let's just talk about the the dismantling of toxic masculinity known as the best friends. Exactly. Chuck, Chucky and Trent. That, that's their names, right? Yeah. Chucky mm-hmm. T and Trent. Like, I think the best thing about AEW is they just have such a wide range of people. Like, you have guys who are like the stereotypical macho man wrestler, but you have so much more character variety. Like, there really is something for everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even in WWE, like, they have a relatively varied, like, characters here and there, but everybody else is still kind of, like, boils down to the same fundamentals that WWE has been relying on since the 90s. Precisely. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's even a Japanese woman with a Freddie Mercury gimmick, which, of course, you know I love. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. Anything with Queen on it is immediately your favorite. <laughs> Good jeez. Call me out. Why don't you? I mean, you started it. Fair. <laughs> where, where, yeah. where is Emi Sakurai, anyway? I mean, that's the thing with AEW also, is that because they don't, like, tie down their talent, they're allowed to go wrestle for other indies, they're not, or other promotions, they're not always going to be on the show every single week. So, like, Emi Sakura has other, like, com- and Rio, they have other commitments in Japan as well, that they have to go back and forth with AEW as well. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Yeah. And besides, I still plus, have, that's the thing. we still have SCU to fill my they, Freddie Mercury gimmicks. <laughs> oh, yeah. And besides, they still have, like, you know, they have enough people on the roster, they, like, rotate people through the spotlight. You know, nobody just hogs the spotlight constantly unless they're a champion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which makes sense, because they're the champion. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's anybody on in AEW who I would call over-pushed, except maybe for Jake Hager, but he hasn't even really been pushed. He's just, like, yeah. there and annoying. Yeah, he's just kind of been going along with the with the tide that's been carrying the inner circle this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you have like four of the best goddamn wrestlers in the company right now. And then Ascension tall glass of war Mayo in the background, who's supposed to be menacing. (laughs) Oh my God. Did you see how much he was sweating in that last match last night? I mean, yeah, it wasn't surprising. Mayo spoils quickly when it's not refrigerated. I I can keep going for the next 30 minutes if you want. Like, I have so much Jake Hager's irritation bottled up. I will go all fucking night if you want me to. (laughs) Okay, well, well, let's not do that, but, you know. (laughs) Perhaps another time. Yeah, another time. (laughs) Oh, God, who else is there? Um, We already mentioned Pac. We already mentioned Sean Spears. I mean, fucking, let's talk about Lance Archer and fucking Jake the Snake. And Jake the Snake, yeah, exactly. And we could also use yeah. that to talk about how AEW's been handling their legends better than WWE. <laughs> oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I think the big thing that comes down to that everybody's been pointing out is AEW use their legends to prop up and build new stars. Like, Arn Anderson is managing Cody. Mm-hmm. Tully Blanchard's managing Sean Spears. Lance Archer's being managed by Jake the fucking Snake. Yeah. In WWE, those guys would show up and beat a newcomer and probably win a title. Yep. And, yeah, that, that's yeah. the whole thing in a nut. That's the whole issue in a nutshell. Like, it doesn't really need any more yeah. clarification than that. Yeah. Like, my God, um, Jake the Snake probably has promo of the year with that... Uh, with that caesar promo that he did on the first night he came on oh yeah no and even like initially people weren't entirely sure what they were saying but they were fucking listening exactly yeah 
And then, of course, yeah. <laughs> once we got over the Caesar references, we realized what month we were in. March. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then it all fell into place. Shout out to DDP, too, I for mean, looking as good as he does right now. That's fucking DDP yoga, man. That shit works. Dude, I, I honestly think it does. Like, <laughs> like you see all these bland knockoffs of, like, goat yoga and all that. Other, oh, yeah, yeah no. But, like, mm-hmm. I mean, the thing with DDP yoga is, like, he specifically designed it for, like, wrestlers and other athletes to, like, combat all the fucking damage to their bodies. And, like, apparently it works because, like... Yeah, Scott Hall and Jake the Snake are still alive, so I guess it fucking works. Mm-hmm. And um, it's even provided some benefits for um, survivors of car accidents too. Oh yeah, yeah. like just in general for like you know, it, it it works obviously. And I mean, dude doesn't look sixty three years old. Yeah, he does not look old at all. And which yeah, <laughs> and that just kind of brings up the says everything about wrestling, right? The that. Wrestlers could get the same yeah. uh, benefit as freaking car crash survivors. <laughs> Tells you everything yeah. you need to know about wrestling right there. <laughs> exactly. God, man. Let's let's talk but, about yeah. more. Let's talk about more of the women. Um, especially my favorite alien, Chris Statlander. Oh yeah, Chris Statlander. I think has been like one of the best examples aside from Britt Baker of take. Well, actually, no. People knew who Britt Baker was. Chris Statlander taking somebody that. Like her and Nyla Rose, two people that most people didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Like they were, and then like they built them into huge stars and got over so quickly. And it's like, you know, the Statlander's gimmick is just so fucking out there in all senses of the word. But like, <laughs> I see people like that. her, and she's good enough to like, you know, get that. That's the thing. Any gimmick can get over with the crowd if the person behind it is charismatic enough. Yeah, or if the person is whatever the hell Orange Cassidy is. Like, can you describe <laughs> is Orange Cassidy charis- charismatic? I don't even fucking know. That's a very like, good question. Yeah. I mean, I guess he is, but like, yeah, because he gets a reaction and he's people like him. And Orange Cassidy is a fucking enigma. Yes, Enigma yeah. Cassidy. They, they they need to just take away Jeff Hardy's old nickname and start calling Orange Cassidy the charismatic enigma because. Nobody knows what the fuck he is, but they cheer for him anyway. Right. Yeah. Talk about someone who has a lot of potential ahead of her. Let's talk about Big Swole. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, she is Mm -hmm. killer on the mic. Oh, my God. And mm -hmm. eventually she's going to be women's champion and she is going to run the entire fucking division for sure. Yeah. (laughs) She's what Bianca Belair should be. You want to talk about charisma? She can turn any like promo into like a fucking roast battle and just annihilate the other person. Yes, 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 yes. Oh God, who else is there? Um, I think. What do What do you think of Brandy's role so far in AEW? You know, I feel like she's still trying to find her footing within the company in terms of, like what her role going forward is going to be. Mm-hmm. But like that's the thing. Like we've been saying, growing pains. Like first she was going to be kind of like the heel authority figure it seemed like for the women's division but i'm kind of glad they backed away from that mm-hmm. then they ha- yeah, had her kind of being like awesome calling commander with that nightmare collective thing that went nowhere <laughs> yeah because that's what happens and when you like, already have the dark order it yeah, just gets repetitive I mean, yeah. She, I, yeah i mean i'm sure she's doing a lot of good work behind the scenes but like mm-hmm. they're just having trouble finding what her on the screen role going forward is going to be. And I think it's fine that they're like, you know, experimenting and trying to figure something out and willing to drop something when it's not working. 
exactly like <laughs> it, i'm glad they didn't just like dig their heels and saying look no nightmare collective is going to be the thing and it's going to happen and y'all are going to deal with it he said okay this isn't really getting a reaction let's just kind of back away from it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so let's see and my second let's talk about my second favorite on the women's roster um live action anime character hikaru shida oh hikaru shida no she's my favorite on the women's roster yeah, i'm oh, sorry yeah. there's yeah, yeah, yeah. like i Rio and Nyla are great, but Hukaru Shida is my favorite for sure. She's fucking amazing at everything. Yeah, because her everything from her entrance to her well attire to when she goes to the ring to her like, would you? Am I correct me if I'm wrong on this? Lest I pull a Jr. Um, she like she comes off as kind of strong style to me, doesn't she? I mean, I think there are a lot of aspects of her moveset that are, like, her running knees are fucking strong style for sure. Oh, dead. they are deadly, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, that bit she does where she pulls out the chair and then uses it as a running ramp for her flying knee, that's yeah. just amazing. Yes. Also, her entrance music is really fucking good, for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's, it's She has one of the best entrance themes in AEW right now. Honestly, if it wasn't for... Um... The magical girl's entrance music, I'd say she would have the best. Oh, Yuka Sakazaki. Yuka Sakazaki, that's... A, yeah, I couldn't yeah. pull her name out. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. That's a, yeah, who just... Okay, she's amazing, if only for the fact that her existence is a reason we got Excalibur trying to explain the concept of a magical girl to JR on commentary. <laughs> Anime got referenced by name on public... On TV in a wrestling match. Yeah. <laughs> started from the bottom, now we here. Oh, started from the bottom... <laughs> Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, it's just go ahead man no I think the thing with Edo is that's the thing like we just in the same conversation went talking about like strong style these strikes to anime like they have such a wide variety of stuff to offer Jesus you're right yeah <laughs> I think like that's the thing and the thing with AW is like we've been said a few times they've only been around for a year and it's going to be so interesting to, like there's so many directions they could go and there's like so many things that fans want that they could give us right like yeah. there's still a combination. Like although here's another thing. Uh AEW has been good at balancing um just giving us different combinations of different superstars and different matches, but the like the I'm take, I'm mainly referring to the Pac Kenny feud here. Like how many matches have they had so far? Like 3. I th- three three singles matches, but they had a couple tag matches. Oh, three think. singles matches. Yeah, I'm talking I'm focusing yeah. more on the singles matches, but yeah. They've had multiple singles matches and each one of them has brought something new to the table <laughs> table like that fucking iron man match would might be the best iron man match i've ever seen Mm-hmm. man they could have gone 60 minutes <laughs> yeah no that's my biggest issue with modern iron man matches is that they don't do the 60 minute ones anymore yeah. like j- just give us a fucking 60 minute iron man match cowards <laughs> do it do it do it <laughs> do it do it just do it Speaking of memes, let's talk about how AE, how good AEW has been at uh, using social media to basically get oh god yeah get get everyone over. Like I think the best example of that is the fucking AEW like official Twitter account feuding with getting Twitter beef with MJF. Oh my god! Yeah, because they released that MJF sucks T-shirt and MJF like called out the AEW Twitter page like what the fuck is this shit? And they were just like 
you create a demand for a product and we deliver. <laughs> Good job. Which is just brilliant. And then there's that uh, yeah. freaking uh, hang- when Hangman Page did put out his social distancing uh, personal uh, personal oh, yeah. statement. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Like, I think the only major social media slip up they've had is when they did that pre-recorded episode on Jericho's cruise ship, which again, not a sentence that anybody thought would make any sense last year. But hey, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. when they did that episode and they tweeted out the result of the tag team title match before the episode had even aired. Yeah, that's a botch. Yeah. (sighs) But hey, you're not going to be perfect. Right. No, of course not. They don't need to be perfect. They just need to be better than NXT every week, which again, high standards. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Although WWE is trying their darndest to make it easy for them. Oh, Lord. You mean you don't like like. You don't like the fact that they completely killed Rusev Day? You mean you don't like the fact that apparently Charlotte is going to be NXT champion for some goddamn reason? Apparently Charlotte is what? Oh yeah, no, Charlotte won the Women's Royal Rumble. She's challenging Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women's title. Okay, that that I would actually give them a pass for because, again, they're basically playing catch-up with how... Because keep in mind, this is only like, what, the third? I mean, they're playing catch-up, but I mean, the thing is they've essentially turned NXT into just another main roster brand. Like, it's lost a lot of what made it unique compared to Raw. That is a great point, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it no longer feels like WWE's indie. It just feels like another WWE show. (laughs) WWE Shippuden. (laughs) This is what what you came to listen for, folks. These are the jokes. I think the biggest thing with the WWE versus AEW, I mentioned a little bit earlier, is that I've never felt like my intelligence is being insulted watching AEW. Yeah, there's never been a match outcome where I just think, well, that makes no fucking sense. I can't get behind that. I can't suspend my disbelief enough to enjoy that. Like, I mean, even Orange fucking Cassidy trying against Pac, like, got over. Oh my god, that was the second best match of the night. (laughs) It really was, which is saying something, because that was on the same card as the fucking tag team title match and Mox winning the title. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I don't say that lightly. <laughs> nope. You could tell how much fun Pac was having in that match. because Oh, for sure. There were multiple points where he was like legitimately trying not to corpse. <laughs> the, the way they were doing that light uh, toe touch against each other. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, no. going back a little bit now to like individual superstars, I can't believe we f- forgot uh, Hangman Page. Oh, yeah, we need to go into more detail on just how much star power that guy has. Like, talking about building young stars, like, eventually there's going to come a day where the top feud in AEW is Hangman as the top babyface and MJF as the top heel fighting over the world title. That's going to happen. Oh, my God. And see, that's just a testament to how um, strong AEW's brand is so far because that match, just the thought of that match or that feud happening is just, (laughs) it's making my good, my serotonin go into overload. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's because that's the thing hangman's just gotten so over both as himself and as a part of the elite yeah like he has this fucking like alcoholic cowboy shtick going on which is amazing yeah which again that was another thing that he just started doing right yeah like the first few times he did it it was very spontaneous just grabbing like beers from someone on the ship and drinking it yeah he and now he comes out into the ring with like a freaking jack daniels on the rocks exactly <laughs> and Another thing he's and one thing that I want to point out about Hangman Page is that his his body type like he he isn't like the typical like sculpted yeah, Mister Universe style wrestler. Yeah, he he's look got like pack, but he's still in shape. Yeah, he's he's got like he's a, he's got a mini beer gut, which makes sense. 
Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with AW. They have a variety of like body types on the roster, but nobody's treated as less than because they don't look like somebody else. Yeah, going back to that uh, Riho versus Nyla match. Exactly. Let's talk about the announcers now. Um, good old JR. Yeah, JR, who's just the crazy grandpa of pro wrestling. Yeah, talk, talk about hit or miss. <laughs> I mean, hey, at the very least, he's not as bad as Jerry Lawler, which is a low fucking bar, but still. But he still manages to clear it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, but like, obviously he has his moments where he really gets into it. Like, it was like, basically when the acid dropped and he started enjoying the Orange Cassidy versus Pac match. Yes. Oh my God. He... That was insane. Yeah. But like, then he has moments where, and I quote, he said of Emi Sakura's entrance, Freddie Mercury has never looked more oriental. Which, to his credit, he apologized for that. Yeah, but I mean, also, like, you know, it's just those little slip-ups here and there. Mm-hmm. where And, like, then there was a moment where you missed this because you were there live, but, like, he basically asked the other commentators, like, it was Excalibur, um, Brett Baker, and, yeah, I think Tony was on the commentary at night, like, basically asked them to explain Chris Statlander's gimmick to him, like, trying to do that without breaking the fourth wall. Like, he was like... So, uh, why don't you all explain to me this? I know that's not what JR sounds like. I'm limited in my range here. He's I like, understand. Why don't you all explain to me what uh, this uh, alternate galaxy that Chris Datlander uh, purports to be a part of is? <laughs> Essentially, just trying really hard to ask him. Yes, yeah, so can somebody please fucking explain this gimmick to me? I don't get it. And then just the awkwardness of everybody else trying to explain Statlander's gimmick to him without breaking the fourth wall. It was just like, really? Yeah. Yeah, that's like the equivalent of like if in the eighties they'd be like, "So, what are you all trying to explain to me? This purported a uh, dead man that the Undertaker purports to be, <laughs> like he he claims to be the undead, and everybody has to like not say that it's a gimmick." But then he also has those excellent backstage interviews that he does. Oh yeah, I know for sure. Like if they just took him off commentary and had him just do the backstage interviews, that would be great use of him. Yeah, I mean he has great calls right now, and then like the goddamn Dippin' Dots didn't hurt dip nobody. <laughs> God, I still wake up laughing because of the damn Dippin' Dots call. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> damn it, I'm, I'm, I'm like, doing That it. needs to like come full circle at the Double or Nothing 2 where Jake Hager goes back to fuck with the Dippin' Dots and JR just gets up for commentary to go tear him a new one. Oh my god, I, I, that, need, I, that needs to happen. Ultra Instinct, yeah, Ultra Instinct JR killing Jake Hager over Dippin' Dots. Oh, oh my god, would that mean his hat would turn white or something? <laughs> and his eyes would... <laughs> <laughs> oh well speaking of having things explained to me um what what was because Exc- excalibur he's he wears a luchador mask to when he's doing his yeah. commentary like what what is his background like i legitimately don't know oh he used to be a wrestler i figured that where did he used to yeah yeah, yeah. he was one of the yeah he was one of the founding members of pwg pwg Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Like, you've probably seen clips. Like, that's where, like, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, like, Kevin Steen made their, like, bones as wrestlers. Oh. They don't wrestle there anymore because the old Reseda Wrestling Hall got torn down. But, like, it's the one where, like, you'd have the ring and just all the um, fans, like, crowding around it instead of, like, having seats. Hmm. Okay. And you've you've seen it. Yeah. And, like, yeah. So he was a founding member of that, like, as a wrestler. And then he very quickly, like, switched to commentary. Oh. And, like, yeah, one thing you notice whenever someone does the Falcon Arrow, he yells, They did the deal. Cause, like, when he was a wrestler, his finisher was the Falcon Arrow. So it's a running gag whenever 
he, he does commentary to get really excited when someone does the falcon arrow and since no one uses it as a finisher anymore whenever gets kicked out of he gets really outraged like what nobody kicks out of the falcon arrow <laughs> huh i'll have to listen for that going forward hmm. yeah like he did it during the women's fatal four-way match ah, okay yeah it's like yeah. and that just leaves tony shivani now yeah who like talk about a fucking comeback story in pro wrestling Yeesh. like went from being the goddamn voice of WCW having one of the worst calls in history to just being like welcomed back into wrestling with open arms and being loved by the fandom. What, what was the bad call he made again? Uh, he was the guy who, um, you know, in what happened during my wars, there was a bit where like they spoiled the outcome of Mick Foley winning the world title. Oh, like, cause what the way it played out was like, he's like, by the way, if you're planning on, cause this was back when raw was pre-taped and he said, by the way, if you're considering changing the channel to Monday night raw, don't bother. We've got to, it on good authority that they're about to put their world title on Mick Foley. Ha, huh, that'll put butts in seats. And everybody changed the fucking channel at that exact moment to watch Mick Foley win the world title. Oh, and it, hmm. WCW basically, that was one of the big moments where they lost a lot of ratings and never fully recovered from it. Ouch. Yeah. Hmm. He was he was also frequently made fun of for opening every single episode of Nitro by announcing it as the greatest night in the history of our sport. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, but I mean like I said, that was he's gone from that to like being coming back and being welcomed with open arms and doing great commentary and interviews now. Uh-huh. <laughs> and feuding <laughs> he's feuding with Britt Baker now. It's it's official. Yeah, which I mean is just comedy gold every time. Every time. Yeah. And it's such stupid cheap heat, but it works for some reason. But I think that speaks to like how beloved the commentators are that anybody messing with them is immediate like nuclear heat. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, keep in mind, Britt Baker basically turned heel by talking shit to Tony for no goddamn reason. Exactly. Yeah. Like seriously, what what reason did she have for just coming after Tony like that? Exactly. <laughs> and what does Starbucks have to do with anything? I'm still. It's like I guess an easy way to insult someone is implying they used to work at Starbucks. I guess. I don't know. Like the the whole keeping the dentist thing part of her gimmick is fucking amazing. Like I'm waiting for her to knock someone's teeth out again. Again. <laughs> God, yeah. poor Sakazaki. <sighs> and. I can't believe we've gone this long without mentioning the best person on the roster. Aubrey Edwards. Aubrey fucking Edwards. The greatest referee ever. Uh, yeah, for sure. Mike Kyoto, who? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing with AEW. They at least give a lot of their wrestlers, I mean, a lot of their referees as much character as the wrestlers. Yeah, like, what was that one thing she did? Oh, my oh God. yeah, during one of the tag team matches, like, the Blade, I think it was, and MJF were, like, holding someone in the corner, and she did the five count, which got the five count. She fucking kicked their hands away to break the hold. Yeah, you do not fuck with Aubrey. Yeah, and, like, the fans <laughs> fucking love her so much, which is the best yes. thing. Yeah, like, my only thing is I wish she just wasn't the only women's ref women referee on the roster, like. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that part of that is that, you know, they just need to work on, like, training more women's referees. Like, even WWE has a couple, but, like, you know, that's something to look forward to in the future, I think. Yep. Yeah. Because, and that's just been, like, the regular theme for throughout this whole episode. Yeah. It's just yeah. growing that, pains, but that just means they have room to grow. Yeah, that's the thing. We like AEW, but we also like them because of the potential for what they could be in the future. And that's showing that, proving that they're willing to make improvements. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Which, uh, yeah. Uh, is anything else that we want to cover? Or... Uh, speculation for the future? Like things you want to see going forward? Yeah, well, talking about the future, I think, is it next week or the week after is Blood and Guts? I don't know. I'm I'm bad with dates. I, I rely on you for these sort of things. Yeah, but when that match happens, it's going to be absolutely fucking insane. I can't believe we're getting that on free TV. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be, yeah. that's going to be unbelievable. Um, The eventuality of like all the people Mox is going to defend the belt against, like he's going to have a rematch with Jericho, but then also the potential for matches with guys like Pac or Darby Allen or Kenny or, you know, and that's a thing, like you could have challengers come out of nowhere, like freaking Scorpio Sky was Jericho's first challenger for the belt. Like, yeah, but who saw that coming? Yeah, and part of the excitement is not knowing what's next, like not being able to guess because who fucking knows what's going to happen. And I'm so excited to see where they go with Brody Lee being the um, exalted one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it might make the Dark Order ten times more interesting. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. What do you think they? What do you hope to see from Matt Hardy? Um, just as much of batshit craziness as they can let him get away with on network television. Oh my god, can you imagine him interacting with Chris Statlander? Oh, oh, him and Orange Cassidy, or him and Chris Statlander would be insane. <laughs> Oh, it makes me happy. Yeah. <sighs> this, yeah, just, and that's the thing, there's so much potential, it's hard to even say that you want to see something happen, because you know they're just going to pull something out of nowhere that's better than what you could have predicted. Exactly, something you didn't even know you wanted. Yeah. Like, again, Brody Lee is the fucking exalted one. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I just, I still can't believe it. Yeah. <sighs> But yeah, I think that'll do it for this episode. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks everybody who's listening for joining in. Yeah. Find us out out there on SoundCloud. Have you heard anything from uh, Stitcher yet? Uh, nothing. Nope. Yeah, I think I might just resend him the show, and once we once we record this episode and another episode, we'll just I'll just get resend him the show and see what see where it goes from there. But yeah, you can find us on SoundCloud, and uh, yeah. Hopefully, as much chances as we're giving AEW to grow, you uh, stick with us and listen to us grow. Hell yeah. Yep. All right. See ya.